As we continue through the Psalms, today's sermon, Psalm 96, is part of another genre, a new genre or or theme known as the Royal Psalms. Psalms 93 through 100 are part of the genre that affirm God's or Yahweh's rule over the earth, that Yahweh is king and royal and ruler of all. This psalm is easy to teach and it's actually easy to understand. Uh, But there's nothing easy about the theme or the genre. And the division of this psalm is as follows. In verses 1 through 3 is a proclamation of universal praise or a call to the world. In verses 4 through 6 is the majesty of the Lord, the one true God of these scriptures. In verses 7 through 9 is another proclamation or universal praise or a call to the world. But also we're going to, God talks to us about giving unto the Lord. And verses 10 through 13 is the rule and sovereignty of the Lord our God. Let us first read the entire chapter, and then we're going to go verse by verse through an exposition. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Shew forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness before him. Fear before him all the earth. Verse 10. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world has shown, has shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice, and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar, and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful in all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Thank you, Holy Father, for your holy word. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit understand the scripture. Help us have confidence in you in Christ, our our Savior, the head of this church. Help us, Holy Spirit, apply this to our lives and demonstrate the scriptures in our lives and throughout our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalm begins with a trilogy of calls, or summons, if you will, calling us to sing unto the Lord, as we did earlier before our service, at the beginning of our service. And verses 1 through 3 said, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Shew forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. This threefold call, or three-round burst, if you will, sing unto the Lord, is equivalent with the three imperative, with the with the, the three imperatives to praise, 
or bless, to proclaim or to proclaim the good news and to declare or to herald or tell. To praise, to proclaim, and to declare. And this praise is vertical, as unto the Lord. It is upwards, unto the Lord, as we praise Him. In verse 2 it says, Shew forth His salvation from day to day. Uh, the scriptures command the church to go outside the four walls of these sanctuaries, of this sanctuary, of every local church. Uh, that is not just for some that might be more gifted in evangelism than others, but that is a commandment for every true believer to go out and praise his name and tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. I think of Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata, who's a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And though she's more of a conference speaker, she does evangelize as a quadriplegic. And Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed. And this church should must be a church that is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why do we not have to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because it says, For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For everyone who trusts in Christ for salvation. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It says in Romans 10:14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How does faith come? How does salvation come? By hearing or reading the word of God. Sadly, today there's more and more professing Christians that are more concerned about declaring our rights than we are declaring our responsibility to go stand and proclaim his word and more on that in the next verse in verse 3 he said declare his glory among the heathen his wonders among all people whether if they want to hear it or not we are to go and tell the heathens the good news for good reason many have referred to seminaries as cemeteries. I am very pro-education, very pro-earning degrees, bro, very pro-universities, very pro-seminaries. Uh, and I'm not saying that this is required to be a pastor or an elder, because if I said that, then I'm actually adding to the scriptures. But I am saying this. I do believe that this ought to be a requirement for in seminaries, not in universities, but in seminaries, because a seminary is to train men to be a pastor. And a prerequisite that should be in seminaries today, if you want to make America great again, a prerequisite in seminaries today ought to be having one mandatory course on heralding the gospel in the streets. And if they can't handle the heckling, the mockers, the cursing, the assaults, the beer, urine, or feces thrown upon them, or the vandalism to their vehicles, or the police and judicial intervention that will come their way, then perhaps 
they might reconsider the pulpit. You see, that's what a boot camp is for in the military, is to weed out those that probably should not be soldiers. That's what a police academy is for. It's to weed out those that probably will not be able to muster that type of pressure in the streets. Academia is very important, but experience and application of what we learn in the classroom and in the sanctuary is actually more important. Seminaries or classrooms are a great place to start, but nothing can beat the experience earned and learned in the sanctuary, in Sunday school, as well as throughout our lives. Though we're not there yet, but perhaps this church could earn the reputation as being a church that is known for proclaiming this gospel to the heathens. Some do, but perhaps some don't. Let us provoke each other to be biblical salt of the earth and light of the world, thus saith the Lord. Next, moving on, is verses 4 through 6, which is the majesty of the Lord, the one true God of the scriptures. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. We're moving fast through these verses because, as I said in the intro, they're easy to understand and really easy to teach. And this is a sharp congregation, so I'm going to be moving fast through most of these. But verse 4 says, The one true God of these scriptures is great and worthy to be praised, revered, and feared. Verse 5 says that all other gods or idols are phonies and fakes. They did not create anything but sin and chaos. But God is the creator of this creation. And God is asking us and everybody, and is even demanding the non-saved world, to worship Him. Verse 6 says God's royal strength and beauty are evident in his creation. Listen to the warning about those that do not worship the creator, uh, that, worship the cre- that do not worship the creator of his glorious creation. I know we've shared a couple of these passages from Romans a couple times over the last few months, but listen to this again in Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts." And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies and among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, God commands all men everywhere to repent, and He calls and commands all men and women everywhere to actually worship Him. But some, as it says in Romans 1, He does turn away, and He turns them over to the depravity, the reprobates. 
Moving on to verses 7 through 9. Again, it's important that we always not only just understand the text, but that we apply it in our lives. Explanation, application in our lives. In verses 7 through 9 is giving on to the Lord and another proclamation of universal praise or a call to the world to come to him. Yesterday, uh, Pastor Mike and I went to the pastor's um, uh, messengers meeting, uh, which was a blessing, and I got to go inside and and look at uh, Pastor Jihad and his beautiful wife's home, their beautiful home. They they live in a parsonage, quite a location right there by LAX. I mean, they've got a great geographical desirable location, great church, lots of property, different buildings, a beautiful, gorgeous sanctuary. And I remember saying to him, boy, as I know, he's a, quite an evangelist. He's a herald in the streets. And I can't, aren't you excited? Can you not wait to go out into the streets and compel them to come in? As the scripture says, to go out into the highways and the hedges, and their church is surrounded by the highways and the hedges. The 405 is right there. What a great location. Compel them to come in to this sanctuary and be saved and be discipled and, and fellowship with us. In verses 1 through 3, we saw a threefold imperative or a trilogy of calls or summons calling us to sing unto the Lord. And now we see a threefold imperative to give unto the Lord. Uh, Verses 7 through 9. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. I'm sure you've heard it many times. Some pastors have done an eisegesis of this passage and they will use it to tell you to tithe. They wrongfully teach that God is telling you to give money to the church. Uh, That's not what this scripture is saying. There are many ways of giving on to the Lord that have nothing to do with finances. And with this church, it's never been about money, and it is not about money. A matter of fact, uh, if you may have not may have even not even noticed it in the bulletin, I omitted the word tithing from the bulletin a few weeks ago. I actually talked to Pastor Mike about it, and we have a view of tithing that's different from the majority of the churches and the majority of the pastors in America. But we do believe in obviously a free will offering, uh, giving money not grudgingly. But this passage is not about giving money. So leave your checkbooks and your pockets and your purses. This passage is about giving on to the Lord in many different ways. This word offering is the Hebrew word minska, which means to, to bestow, to give a donation to, an offering, a present, a sacrifice, or to give food. Matter of fact, oftentimes in the scriptures talking about tithing, it's actually talking about giving 10% of your food. Your mints, your spices, your herbs, your agriculture, bringing in the bringing the food into the storehouse and bringing it into the sanctuary so that people may eat and be happy. But there are many ways of giving unto the Lord Church, and I have included some of them here, but including but not limited to, here's a list that of how we can give unto the Lord. And it is our testimony that we are actually doing this. And that's wonderful, without being told to. But, but anyways, here's, a, here's many ways of giving on to the Lord, which is being done here. You guys are an automatic pilot. 
And I praise God for that. We can give on to the Lord by praising His name. We can give on to the Lord uh, when we give to the church and His people via our time, talents, and treasures. We give on to the Lord in our free will offerings that we have, and we don't even have an usher collecting those offerings. We can give unto the Lord in our fellowship. We can give through our discipleship. We can give in hosting our weekly gatherings in our homes, which we do. Our brothers and sisters over there, the Burkhammers, gave unto the Lord by giving us their home for quite a while where we met for prayer. And, the, and everybody else here has participated in those types of activities. We give unto the Lord in our prayers and supplications. The best, you, best gift you can ever give me, friend, my friends, is your prayers and vice versa. We can give on to the Lord in our meals that we bring to our dinners. We give on to the Lord through our worship of worshiping Him. We give on to the Lord through the singing of our hymns as we demonstrated earlier. We give on to the Lord via the sharing of employment. I listen to conversations. People are sharing work in this church, making sure others have work that don't have work. We give on to the Lord via the giving of our baked goodies. We give on to the Lord by the giving of our books and our extra spare Bibles. All of this has been done through, through the years. We give on to the Lord by going out to proclaim His name, including proclaiming His name to the heathens. We give by simply giving ourselves to each other. We give by giving our agriculture. Perhaps the greatest form of worship that I've ever engaged in as far as worshiping God is, is, is heralding the gospel in the streets. I don't consider that evangelism. I consider that worship because I'm giving on to the Lord. And we, we give on to the Lord. We do it with fear and reverence and awe of his divine majesty and glory. It's all vertical. Nevertheless, let us never be a church that backslides from doing so as we already do. Let us never be a church where it's all about money, because it's not. Last week, I saw somebody here give on to the Lord by giving wrapped gift packages of cheese. In the mighty name of Jesus. I've never seen cheese given in the name of Jesus. Say cheese. Say Jesus. But it was done. There's all kinds of wonderful ways of giving unto the Lord. Next in verses 10 through 13. And some of you that weren't at prayer night, you missed the cheese. Not that we're trying to entice you to go to prayer night with cheese. Next in verses 10 through 13 is the rule and sovereignty of the Lord. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heathens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and let all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh and he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Man, I love God's word. Verse 10 again tells us to tell all the heathens out in the world. Go out and tell the heathens. Tell them the gospel. Tell them the law. Tell them of the soon coming judgment and wrath of Almighty God. Tell them that the Lord has dominion over everything and everyone in this world. And that the Lord has dominion over them as well. Because the Lord rules and the Lord reigns. 
Verses 10, 11, 12, and 13 remind us that God will judge all people righteously with equity. Though I'm very concerned about the direction our nation is going in, but I'm not worried, because worry is sin. Because God's day of reckoning is coming to those whom are not following Him. As another said regarding this verse and this passage and regarding the judgment that's coming, and I quote, The judgment of God includes both vengeance of the ungodly and a deliverance of the godly. Think about that. Judgment is not just against the ungodly. Judgment is for you as well. It's against the ungodly and it's a deliverance of the godly. The Christian will be delivered from his wrath. That's the judgment that I want. The judgment serves, continuing, the judgment serves to restore his order in the world. Though the focus of the psalm lies in the present, the theological and canonical function stretches to the eschatological hope when God's rule is fully established. End of quote. Church, the heathens will rejoice. And the earth, excuse me, did I say heathens? I stand corrected. Uh, Thank you for that little giggle there. The, The heavens will rejoice. I'm sure glad I caught that mistake. That's false teaching, right? <laughs> the heavens will rejoice, not the heathens. The heavens will rejoice, and the earth will be glad. That I probably will omit. And the seas and the creatures in his seas will roar. All of his creations, including the trees, will rejoice. Amen? I saw a woodpecker the other day. They're just kind of going, they're kind of leaving our neighborhood since we replaced our real wood on the home with that fabricated stuff. We shouldn't have done that. And the woodpecker, one of them returned the other day. That woodpecker is going to rejoice one day about his creator. And we should never be sad about God's judgment. As one author said, All creation is invited to join in the festal joy as the Lord arrives to to rule the world. The heavens will be happy, the earth will be glad, the sea and all within it will thunder praise. Even the sea will thunder praise. There's a seaman right there that just came back from the ocean. I called him this morning because we didn't know who was leading worship. And you know where he was? He was at the Los Angeles port just leaving his sailboat. On Sunday morning, are you going to make it to church? He says, yeah, I'll be there. My goodness, that guy lives life in the fast lane, doesn't he? The sea and all within it will thunder praise. No field will be silent and no tree in the forest, but will rejoice to greet its Lord's coming. For he is coming to rule over the world. He will rule in perfect righteousness and in absolute honesty. Close quote. God will rule in perfect righteousness and absolute honesty. And I mean absolutely. And so if you're in Christ... Which I believe we all are here in this sanctuary. That is great news. But if you're not, that is terrible news. Nonetheless, regardless of who is saved and who is not, we are to rejoice as he will be glorified in both his salvation and his judgment. We moved fast to this sermon. This is going to be a short one today. In summary and conclusion of today's exposition of this chapter, Those who rejoice in the God of salvation and the God of his scriptures must go and tell the good news of salvation, compelling them to come in. 
Because day is coming when Almighty God will judge all things and all matters and all people, which means that he will set all things right. I am not your typical postmodern evangelical, and I hope, I don't think anybody here is in this sanctuary, but I do care to be a bond slave and an ambassador to Christ, and I hope that's what you are known as too, is not an evangelical but as a bond slave, doulos, the Greek word, a bond slave, an ambassador to Christ. But by doing so, without being friends with this world, by wielding his sword and while wearing his armor, because the armor in Ephesians 6, putting on the whole armor of God, is putting on Christ. Christ is the armor. We put on Christ. We put on his righteousness. And so let us engage the world in all the affairs of life as soldiers, as ambassadors for Christ, fully equipped with the armor of God, which is Christ in his word, but doing so without being unequally yoked or friends with the world. Matter of fact, there are actually times when we are to be actually against the world, against sin and lawlessness. That is another way of giving unto the Lord, church, giving unto the Lord, and did I say rejoice. Father, thank you for your glorious, inerrant, sufficient, infallible word of God. Sola Scriptura, we love your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit will enable us to practice it and demonstrate it through our lives. We ask that you would quicken our minds, that you would soften our heart, that you would continually sanctify us and grow us in holiness. We ask that you would equip us. We ask that you would give us more of your gifts to us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.